Welcome back to Noise Out Minute. I am your host, Darren. We are here in the um, penultimate week of the show, and this is the penultimate episode of the week. Uh, joining me once again is Philip. Hello, Philip. Hello. Happy Thursday, everybody. And we are here for minute 124, which goes from an hour and three minutes to an hour, three minutes and 59. And we start with, because in the previous minute, it was mostly done as kind of like a montage. We couldn't really hear anything, but we did hear the word Linda towards the end. Uh, Richard is, you know, shouting for Linda. Linda hasn't moved. She's she's reading the secret note. Um, and then we go inside, um, you know, and we'll talk more about the Linda thing in the next minute because this that's actually another setup for something that happens off screen that we will get revealed in the next minute. Um, we go inside and we see that Marta is she's got like a blanket around her, obviously, because somebody's just tried to murder her. <laughs> um, and Blank approaches her and she says, can I ask, at what point did you suspect I had something to do with Harlan's death? And he, of course, says, from the moment you first set foot in front of me. And then we see on her foot, there is a tiny bit of blood. Um, and he then says to her, I want to remind you something very important. You won not by playing the game Harlan's way, but yours. Um, and Marta says, should I help them to the family that are outside? And of course, he says, I have my own opinion, but I have a feeling you will follow your heart. And that is where this minute finishes. Um, and I think that might be the final dialogue of the entire film. I think it so, is, too. Uh, that is a that is a picture wrap on dialogue in Knives Out. Night, well done, dialogue. Um, yeah. Um, and, yeah, so, like, obviously there's a little bit of the kind of the end of the previous minute where we still see that Ransom, again, it's taken forever to get Ransom in the car because he's still not in the car yet. Um, so, you know, but like the fact that Richard is shouting for Linda and saying, Linda, you know, get the, uh, get the, the lawyers. I'm, I don't know how they're going to pay for them because from what I understand, really none of Harlan Thrombey's offspring were that successful at their enterprises. Mm-hmm. And they were basically just taking all his money. Um, but obviously we, as viewers, we know that, you know, the affair that Richard has been having has been revealed to Linda via this, this note. Um, but we don't get told that in any way. No, it's not made explicit. I, I think it's just that it's it's left for we're given the viewers to kind of we're given the um, math to work out. Right? We're given. We, uh, yeah. Earlier, we know he wrote something, and we know that the their little secret code thing. So we don't have to read it, really. We don't have to hear it, or like a you know a voiceover of like my dear Linda. Um, yeah. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, we get it, and, and it's all on her face too. Like uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is great with a really classic sagging cigarette in her mouth like that is i love yeah it i i don't i have no like stats to back this up but i love like cigarette acting you know like if she was holding it out right you know straight out that would mean something else but this it's like completely down so it's with her mouth and it's almost cartoonish and yeah that's really excellent i mean in the script it says um 
as as the letters appear, her face changes. Mm. That is how it's directed. So um, I had a I had a like fun I hope side question about this. So they have this game. Okay. They have this game, right? Yeah. Uh, her and her dad write invisible letters. But as I'm watching Linda put the um, the lighter underneath, I was thinking it's awfully close to that paper. And so I was wondering, <laughs> yeah. I was wondering if let's say they did this 50 times in their life, how many times do you think they set the paper on fire? Uh, I, I think the thing is, uh, you know, given uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's age and Christopher Plummer's age, I'm thinking they've probably got this nailed down. Like they know the exact distance. Maybe. To kind of reveal it. And I think maybe that's also what makes it their, like, their personal game is they they know how to make it appear without setting it on fire. Fair enough. Whereas if somebody else maybe in the family tried to imitate them, maybe they would accidentally set it on fire and they wouldn't see anything. And that's okay. how they keep these things secret. That might be it. Um, that might be it. I'm, I am going to guess... Uh, at least five times early on before, because <laughs> yeah. I'm imagining they did it when she was younger, and it was like, okay, you just take the match and you take the lighter and hold it. Oh, okay. Well, all right. Uh, we'll do it next time. You know, that said, uh, your Christmas <laughs> presents over here, but that's fine. You know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm guessing they did probably the first few times until they figured out the distance. They probably, but at this point, it feels like she knows exactly a, where to yeah, hold it. Yeah, there was a point where Harlan was writing two notes every time. Because he was like, he would write one and then give it to her. And then we're like, okay, that one burned. Try this one. And then and then that one worked. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's, you know, we'll, we'll find out what Linda, um, you know, her reaction to that. Uh, like I said, it happens off screen, but it comes up in the next minute. Um, but yeah, and then so most of the conversation in this, in this particular minute, it takes place uh, in the living room. And it is kind of blank pointing out that basically he knew she was part of something like right. she she was there for when it happened and you know despite the whole kind of alibi and i think this might be uh ryan johnson i don't know if, if redeeming is the right word but making blanc seem more intelligent than he was because yeah you know when when she covered the tracks when she was like walking over them by literally covering her own tracks mm -hmm. by you know it, it felt and and magnetizing the the video and you know like it felt like she was kind of getting away with it and blank wasn't figuring it out and you know she hid the piece of trellis and you right. know, I, but i and i i think that maybe although blank appeared yeah much maybe like in a columbo way and i should say by the way ryan johnson on his twitter as of this moment has like a, a, a like a picture of columbo as his like um you know he's like banner so i can he's see obviously that seems fan. like an influence for sure yeah yeah, so it feels like Blank was not like maybe kind of the, he he was slightly behind, but it feels like he figured stuff out but just didn't tell people, and then eventually he kind of you know by by the time he gets to the whole kind of donut speech, he's kind of going through the process yeah. of putting together the evidence that's in his head. I think that's um, I think that's part of the fun too, and I, and I believe that is by design that yeah you know if there's something to be said for like the Sherlock Holmes version of you know i'm clearly ahead of the game at all the times and i'm telling you that and that's that's where we are right but i think through sort of characters behaving this movie in particular particularly blanc we get to just sort of see him and so i, I always think of the scene when he's in the car listening to music you know it's yeah. just like it's just a silly little moment. It makes him look like a goofball, but also just makes him look like a person. And just to what your point is that 
if we see that and we are watching the rest of the movie, we are convinced and we get the tension, the audience gets the tension of, oh, he's not going to figure it out. You know, that that's yeah. that's the thing. It's the this is like both a who done it and a how done it. Um and a where done it. Uh the so I think I think that's definitely a choice. Uh, I don't think it like ruins his character in any way cuz that's also the fun. Like most most characters, you know, Holmes and Poirot and all those guys have their quirks. They have to be you know, a little idiosyncratic. And and so that's that's the fun of Benoit Blanc is that yeah, he can kind of almost goof around and do it. Have you ever seen um you ever seen the Thin Man movies? I haven't. No. They uh some of them are excellent. Um they are from the 1930s and 40s. Um they are a charm fest. Uh and part of the fun is that their leads um the the husband is a detective and the wife is from a well-to-do family who's really like into his job, right? And he's always saying he's retired, but then he gets into these things. Well, there's eventually this, like, they made three or four of them, uh, of those movies. And eventually, uh, by the third one, when they're kind of wrapping up at about this moment, someone comes to uh, his wife, Myrna Loy is the actress's name, and says, like, you know, like, I don't know how this is going to work. And she's like, oh, it's fine. Nikki gets all the people together, and she tells them, and, you know, none of them know how it worked, but he explains it, and then it all works out. And like, it's just kind of wonderful. And that's sort of what happens here is it's, it is fun in a way to see someone who is like good at their job, but also kind of bumbling. But then it turns out, oh, they're kind of just going at it their own way. And maybe I shouldn't be so judgmental. I think the the problem that exists with a lot of, um, and I, this is the same with like procedurals, mm-hmm. you know, with the detectives is they have to see the clues and stay kind of a little bit behind, you know, whoever is committing the crime. But they can't do that to the point where they seem like they're stupid. Yeah. And I think with with Benoit Blanc, you know, a fine line has been, you know, throughout the whole film has been done where he seems like he's not going to be able to solve it because, you know, there are these forces that are working against him, which, you know, at first is just martyr. But we also then find out that Ransom is also trying to yeah. work against him. And cover everything up. And so, you know, uh, and, and in, all, in all honesty, like the murder of Fran is easy to solve because mm-hmm. she literally says, Hugh did it. Yes. Um, so there's no mystery there. But obviously, you know, the kind of the the donut hole missing the donut hole missing the donut hole is the stuff that is from the beginning of the film with Harlan. And obviously we witness it, and I did in the minutes that I covered, of Harlan cutting his own throat. So ha- that's not a murder. So, of course, you have to keep blank, not knowing that the murder at the start isn't a murder, but it sort of is. And then also have to have him solve Fran's murder pretty quickly. Otherwise, he's going to look pretty stupid. Yeah. And I think the film manages to kind of, you know, this this reveal at the end where Blank's like, I knew I knew you were there for when he cut his throat because I could see, see the blood on your shoe. Um, it kind of establishes that he wasn't at, like, you know, almost to the audience. He's saying at no point was he ever behind the curve on what was going on. He kind of knew, but he was just waiting for the point where right. he was able to kind of reveal it, um, you know, well, which is what happens in, you know, mystery films. Yeah. isn't it? You know, there's always a moment where stuff gets revealed. Right. He um, knew he knew enough 
to trust her. Yeah. But he didn't know the whole picture to slam the cuffs on whoever the murderer was. And well, this, and, and in, the, in the interrogation scene, well, in the interrogation scene at the beginning, when he's talking to, you know, he only has one question that he wants the detectives to ask, and he signals that by pressing the key on the piano, <laughs> yeah. uh, which is just, when did you get here? And that's that's all he wants to know at the start, is just when did each of the people arrive? Because he's trying to kind of put together a picture of exactly where they were uh, before the murder happened, right. or, you know, or, or the, the suicide as it is. And then after that, it's a question of, you know, him figuring out the cover up, which, you know, again, as a viewer, you think he's not going to be able to do that because Marta is, you know, trying to cover her tracks and she followed Harlan's instructions and everything. But she got them maybe a little bit wrong, but then she covered that up. And so, you know, there's a whole bunch of little bits there where you think maybe Blank's not going to get it. But obviously, from the beginning, Blank has kind of known she was involved in some way. He's just got to figure out what way. And obviously, he trusts her because he knows she can't lie. (laughs) So it's just... It's just him trying to put the pieces together. But, uh, I mean, that's just what it feels like to me here is, is a little bit of Ryan Johnson being like, look, Blank isn't that stupid. Like, you know, that's always no, the totally. downfall. Totally. You know, and I think that's obviously where someone like, you know, um, Inspector Cluso, <laughs> that he was stupid and yet he still managed to kind of yeah. solve mysteries and stuff. And so that's that's kind of the, that's the, that's the kind of logical end of like trying to make a detective, you know, um, it's you know behind the murderer and the murderer there'll be the, the genius in the it's in funny the it's funny it's almost like the promise of this premise or with this character blanc or any detective is really is being played with in this movie where the the one thing they have to do to look smart is to solve the case which means yeah you can make them look dumb in other ways you know and, and i don't mean dumb dumb but like that's, I think, something that this movie is interesting in its treatment of Blanc is that they take the liberty to, yeah, make him look maybe a little foolish or behind or whatever in those other things. And it's all kind of fine as long as he solves the case. So he could, yeah, you know, fool around the whole time and then eventually come in and you're like, wow, what a genius. And it's, it's something that I, I don't know how consciously... Uh, other movies and maybe even this one uh, we're doing, but it, it just kind of shows in a way that it's like the, at the bare bones, as long as you can do that, your character is going to be fine. You don't have to uh, have him solve every single thing along the way, every single time. Yeah. But talking about Ryan Johnson, making this character, um, you know, uh, solve the mystery and show himself to be a genius. Mm-hmm. Um, we, on Thursdays, we talk about the other films of Ryan Johnson. I think we've touched on this a little bit earlier in the week, but this is yeah, oh yeah, uh, the point where we can really get into it. Um, now I can do it with, with permission. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> because uh, I think I've seen all of Ryan Johnson's films with the exception of The Brothers Bloom, which I believe in previous minutes I said I would try to watch, but I just haven't had the time. Mm-hmm. But I will get to it eventually. Um, but, you know, obviously we talked about how Brick is kind of a deconstruction of, you know, noir. Yes. And this is obviously a deconstruction of, um, you know, kind of murder mystery, mysteries, yeah. uh, murder mysteries. And I think the same is kind of true with Looper, which I think you said you hadn't That's seen. That's the one, I, yeah, ironic for my love yeah. of time travel I've yet to see. Which in itself, I feel, is not completely, but it is a little bit of a deconstruction of like the uh, grandfather paradox Mm -hmm. and kind of, um, you know, 
like how someone becomes evil and if you can you know it's the it's the baby hit the problem yeah um you know <laughs> and it, well it literally in that that's the plot that should like, be the, that not, should be the not, that should be its title not, there has to be a movie called yeah, the baby, the baby hit the problem, problem. Well, I mean, it's not it's not baby Hitler, but they, yeah. they talk about like an equivalent person who will become as bad as that particular person. And, and the, the, the question is, do you kill them as a child to right. prevent that from happening? Um, and then kind of the moral quandary around that. Okay. Um, and I actually I've, I've said this before, but when I saw that at the cinema, I saw it at the cinema, I think on like a preview a couple of weeks before it's going to come out. And then when it came out, I downloaded the commentary that was on SoundCloud that Ryan Johnson had put on. There, oh, nice. And I went to the cinema and I watched it in cinema with huh. the commentary, uh, which is a, which is a really interesting experience because you keep thinking that everybody else can hear. <laughs> sure. That and they can't. Yeah. But you think you're disturbing people by this by this sound. But Ryan Johnson on the commentary as well is very care. He was like, you know, make sure your phone is out of you know, or whatever you're listening to this commentary on, you know, your, your iPod or whatever is out of sight. So it doesn't, you know, the light doesn't create any distraction for other people, sure. and, you know, just listen to. And uh, it was, you know, it's a kind of magical experience. I missed his commentary for Knives Out that he did for the kind of the in theater experience. Yeah, I did too. Um, I didn't, uh, I didn't do it. Yeah. It would have been nice if I, I didn't see this a second time in the cinema. I only saw it once, but I would have liked to have gone back and seen it a second time with that commentary, mm-hmm. but I just never got the chance. And then the pandemic hit. So, yeah. you know, Yeah. Um, so then here we yeah, are. So, I mean, yeah. So what are your thoughts then? On, I mean, obviously, you know, I'm assuming that you enjoy Brick, but, uh, yes. you know, if you want to talk a little bit about, you know, Last Jedi, uh, you know, I, I know what people, uh, the, I, the last what? No. I think I think generally the the kind of the guests and the hosts on this podcast certainly have been fans of it. Sure, um, there have I no, but I don't think anyone's given a negative opinion of it. Uh, so yeah, you know, okay, well then problems, I'll, so. I'll be the first. No, not really. <laughs> uh, no, I I think uh, yeah, I'd I'd love to talk about Last Jedi. Um, I think Ryan Johnson is a very skilled, smart filmmaker. I also think that we have as a culture reached a point where star Wars is so big that someone with that skill set is not ideal for it. I, I, that is all to say that it's not that I think that that movie is bad and some of it is awesome. Um, a lot of it. In fact, it looks gorgeous. Like the filming yeah. of it is is great, and some of the actors, especially in the, you know, the sequel series, all that stuff, uh, those are some of their best performances. I also get the feeling that he went into it knowing, and you know, all, you know, to his, to the his rights, knowing that it might be his only shot at Star Wars, so. If it's going to be his only shot, he's going to do everything he can with Star Wars in it. And I feel like that's sort of to the detriment of the series at large. It like in a we're, I'm going to spoil Last Jedi for the two humans who have listened <laughs> to Knives Out Minute this far, but not seen Last Jedi. Sorry, guys, you had your chance. I feel like and it's sort of a semi-popular belief that it should have ended. Uh at the point of Ray getting away from Kylo Ren and Kylo Ren becoming Supreme Chancellor or Supreme leader or whatever. Like you cut all the stuff from crate. And that's a hard cut because I love the showdown, especially the appearance. I'm getting excited thinking about it, the appearance of Luke at the end. It is a 
you know, spaghetti Western moment. And it, I feel like it's very apparent. It was like, this is fistful of dollars. He's surviving through what looks like magic, but it's actually a trick and, you know, all this stuff. It's an, like, it's got an awesome little touch with him winking at 3PO. And like, so it would hurt to cut it, but for the scope of the series, that felt like the finale. And in a way, it's like, I kind of get it because it's unprecedented for the rest of the movies to do that. But again, this is what I'm trying to lead to in a rambly way is he thought of all this stuff and it's good stuff, but it's almost like uh, it's we don't need that right now. And and I feel like he kind of got in the way of those things when I'm not fighting for like dumbing it down, but it needed to like just not be quite so self-aware all the time to to really fit in. And, you know, that could be the failing of whoever, you know, I, I don't know. They have not talked to me. Um, but that that <laughs> and it's funny that that happened because the way that it did, because in his other movies, he seems very aware of it. But then again, all of his other movies up to this very moment have been standalone films. And, yeah. you know, it, there's there's certainly challenges with with Star Wars in general. And I'm not saying that everything, you know, that tripped me up in that movie was his own doing. I think <laughs> while I have the mic here, I think a big problem they did was relying so much on the past that they could like never move by it. They just, those movies set themselves up to just be the th- the last three. I mean, they really set themselves up to just continually reference the original trilogy and yeah. to their detriment. So the, so the best parts of last Jedi are the ones that either challenge that or move past it or whatever but then in the end, it all kind of like resets back to where we were. And and like, oh, I liked what you were doing earlier a lot. But then we did this and then it just kind of feels weird. And the whole thing is very strange. Um, I still enjoyed Last Jedi as watching it and even in consequent, you know, subsequent viewings. Um, but in terms of his of Johnson's overall filmography it's not my favorite you know it's i, yeah, I really like Ni- I, mean, I really like knives out and brick so much and i think it's more because <laughs> like lots of ramble here darren sorry but i think it's more because those are truly his voice as opposed to something like star wars which is like this is you covering someone's voice that's all those sequels were it was like we're all trying to like do our best version of what we think george lucas might have done had he been able to write dialogue and or the, the best the best approximation of uh, a Richard Mock one <laughs> film. Yes. Um, yes. Or 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 Erwin Erwin Kirshner, I think. Erwin Kirshner, yeah. 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 Who of course also directed Robocop 2, which is just an inexplicable <laughs> choice on his yes. part. Like but he was never going to live up to Paul Verhoeven, was he? No. <laughs> Doing no. it that way. Um, um, <laughs> the Empire Strikes Back of Robocop is not Robocop 2. Um No. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I think in a way I, I'm responding more to the movies where he is a little less tied down, however you want to see it. And I think certainly yeah. this movie, Knives Out, is more that. He can he can do that, and he can play... Like, the same amount of playing with characters against type and all that sort of stuff is kind of there in 
Last Jedi, but it has so much other baggage because of us living with those characters or those archetypes in Star Wars in general for so long that people have personal things hung up on on it. Whereas in Knives Out, he can have a sort of goofy Southern, uh, you know, James Bond actor as his central detective. And we can all go, cool. You know, like, that's great. Or like Michael Shannon can be interesting and weird. It's like, awesome. You know, there's there yeah. there's a different type of play that I think has more benefits for him in this type which yeah i would uh i would say that the constraints of the the sequel trilogy uh is that basically it felt like each of the the original actors said i will be in one film each but i will die <laughs> yeah and yeah. they were so han solo was obviously like i i've got to go i've got to go back to my wife who's 20 years younger than me and get high all the time so please kill me off and then obviously mark hamill you know who uh, more than anyone just seems like the nicest guy ever yeah. um he's he was obviously like look i will bring back luke but we're going to have to do something interesting mm-hmm. with him and also he will die at the end of that <laughs> film and then i feel like you know someone was obviously behind the scenes saying to carrie fisher look you're going to be in all three films but for the first two there's not going to be like a big emphasis on your character it's mostly going to be about you know han and, and luke and then the final film will be all about you and then obviously probably at the end of the film you'll die yep. but in real life, she died, and that completely messed up the plans for you know that that third film. As with the fact that nobody seemed to know what that third film was meant to be about, right. so obviously you know. But I feel like that was the plan was to give each of the old characters a spotlight and then have them die, so that we could kind of put the original trilogy to rest, and you know, and kind of cap that off. Uh, but unfortunately, real life kind of intervened so, and made things. So I, I could also talk about star wars forever probably and already have (laughs) but i feel like you are probably right and again i think that was a flaw from the beginning that like tying it so much to the past sets you up to only examine the past and what's really frustrating is i would argue that a lot of times in the sequel trilogy the best moments are the ones that go forward like the first half of force awakens oh yeah the first half of force awakens is awesome because it's just like this is just new star wars which we haven't gotten in a long time new star wars and then yeah last jedi has interesting new ideas like the whole idea of them joining together like i actually for once thought they were going to join together which is never you know like i never really thought luke was going to (laughs) go bad but it was like there, she might do it. Like, why wouldn't she do it? Um, and it's always going to be hampered by, oh, but we've got to pay tribute to this past stuff. And I'm like, oh, if you got and and then here's the other thing that I've just recently stumbled on uh, myself overthinking this. They also kind of had a similar trajectory and problem uh, with the Christopher Nolan Batman movies where it's almost like in the second movie they had Joker and two face. They killed two face, but the Joker lived except the actor who played the Joker died. So they can never bring him back. And then they did the same thing in last Jedi where in this case, Mark Hamill is two face, even though he plays the Joker and other things, he's two face. He, that actor lived, but they killed him. Carrie Fisher died, but her character lived. And you're like, ah, And then they made the last movie with rises in the title, too. So (laughs) there's there's a weird thing there with like real world obviously getting in the way 
But yeah. I'm not even that confident that, like, I would even go back to say, like, there's part of me, like, I love Han Solo. And and some of my favorite parts, it was so great in that first movie just to see Han Solo doing Han Solo stuff. I couldn't, I thought it was just going to be a cameo, and then it wasn't. And I'm like, awesome. <laughs> I, I'm all for it. But part of me, even then, thought it's a little weird that he's the main, like, character of it that it's his son. I know it's Leia's too, but even that's kind of weird. Cause I, I'm convinced that JJ Abrams did it because well, Han's the coolest character. So we should make him the father of our villain. And we're like, yeah, but if yeah. you take a step back and actually look at star Wars stuff, like Han factors in, but as a side character, it's not really, I don't know. It just seems like it was chosen to be cool. <laughs> and I, and I'm, like I feel like that's the that was the main flaw right from the beginning, and then all. D- I mean, also Force Awakens broke so many records and made so many billions that there was no way, no way that for the for there was no way for Last Jedi that they could really go too far out because they just had a franchise that made two billion mm-hmm. and basically was the most successful Star Wars film ever. No, made, it, so. it, it's a billion dollar problem, it, obviously, but yeah. then but just so. looking at them as films, I feel like that's part of the problem it almost goes back to the thing i was rambling about yesterday about continuity and i feel like those sequels like obviously the original trilogy dealt with continuity but not into the point of like well in this very minute and then then that ties to this very minute like even down to the fact that last jedi picks up minutes after force awakens is hampering because then you start questioning, like, well, how long's Ray been gone? Like, did they really just start this? When did the First Order get all these ships? How is, you know, like, it yeah. answering lots of questions in movies, especially sequels, for me, breeds more questions. As opposed to answering questions and closing the book, you're like, and we're done. It's over. That feels like the perfect segue uh, into plugs. Is there anything that you wish to plug by any chance? Oh, counts? I might have a book that you can open and shut. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much. Uh, yeah, my uh, my own murder mystery um, called uh, The Murderous Haircut of the Mayor of Bel-Air uh, is out for pre-order or order, depending on whether you're from the past or the future, if you're going back to kill baby Hitler or you've already done it. Uh, it'll be out September of 2021. Uh, it is the first in a series of psychic barber mysteries uh, about a young woman, Danica Lumen, uh, who has the ability to touch, touch someone's head. And normally as a hairstylist, she sees the perfect haircut they want. But in this case, she touches a stranger's hair and sees a murdered body. And it's all about her getting way in over her head, uh, trying to solve this mystery and, um, interacting with actual cops, actual private detectives and getting nowhere a la Benoit Blanc, I guess. Um, and, and, uh, then the trooper. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun and I hope people will check that out. And where could we find you on Twitter? You can find me on Twitter at my name, which is Philip Mottas. That's P H I L L I P. M as a mountain, O-T-T-A-Z like zebra. And you can find us on Twitter at Knives Out Minute, should you wish to contact us for any reason. And, of course, uh, we would ask that you rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice. Uh, thanks for being my guest today. Thank you. Um, Philip. And 
Uh, obviously, I need to ask, will you return one final time as we finish the week off tomorrow? I'm already there. I'm actually from Friday, but I'm a time traveler <laughs> and went back here. So, yes, I'll be there. So it will work out perfectly. Um, don't spoil the future for me. It, uh, we will see you all tomorrow.